Okay, we are continuing along the chronological life of Jesus. We're, we're going to be reading from Mark 15, starting at verse 42. Mark 15, verse 42. And this is concerning the burial of the body of Jesus in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and the proof of his death. So in Mark chapter 15, verse 42, and we're going we're gonna to put on our our, our, our analytical caps here, all right? So you're, 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 you're all students or you're educated and we're going to really try to, try to uh, uh, pick this thing apart. Mark chapter 15, verse 42 says, When evening had already come, because it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea came, a prominent member of the council, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God And he gathered up courage and went in before Pilate and asked him for the body of Jesus. Pilate wondered if he was dead by this time, and summoning the centurion, he questioned him as to whether he was already dead. And ascertaining this from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Joseph bought a linen cloth, took him down, wrapped him in the linen cloth, and laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out in the rock and he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. So it says, when evening had already come, so it was beginning to get dark on that Friday night, uh, um, and, and it says, it, because it was the preparation day. If you were to ask a Jewish person, what does it mean, the preparation day? What day is the preparation day? They would always tell you, Friday. That is the day that you prepare for the Sabbath day. From the first century till now, it has always been called the preparation day. This was Friday. And then, since Mark is speaking to the Roman, to the Gentile reader, he clarifies it even further. He says, that is the day before the Sabbath. And the Sabbath has always been Saturday. Always has been, always will be. You may say that Sunday is your Sabbath, that's fine. But it's not the Sabbath. The Sabbath is Saturday. So if you really want to strictly observe the Sabbath day, it's Saturday. In fact, it's it's Friday night sundown to Saturday night sundown. That's when it is. And and uh, uh, because and the reason I say this is because there's been confusion that started in the 20th century, never before that. Started in the 20th century as to what day did Jesus really die on the cross? Some have placed him on Thursday. Some have even placed him on Wednesday. Dying, And the reason for that is, is because of uh, some of the things that it says, the way the New Testament puts it. It says, uh, uh, it says sometimes after three days he will rise again. Sometimes it says three days and three nights he will be in the ground. And sometimes it says on the third day. In fact, all of those three idiomatic ways of putting it are used in, in just Matthew's Gospel alone. So, what happens is, in the scriptures, in that period, and even before that period, any part of a day was the day. We have something similar to that in this country when it has to do with, with your, your birth year. My daughter was born on December 31st. And do you know that, why that was very good for me? Why? Tax break. She was born the last day of the year, and I got a full tax break for her. Because she was born on the 31st. My son was born in January. In fact, we went in the hospital in December, but 
it was just false pangs there, and I was hoping that we'd get him in under the wire as well. So any part of the year is considered the year. In the Scriptures, if a person served one month as king, say it was the twelfth month, that was the first year of his reign. And then come the, 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 the day that the following year occurred, that was now the second year of his reign. And the Scriptures put it over and over again. And you will see, for example, in, in the Old Testament, in the book of Esther, she says, pray for me for three days. And then it says, on the third day. Well, if you pray for actually three days, you have to complete the three days and it's the fourth day you're doing. She said, and it says, on the third day. So, he really died on a Friday. Don't let this confuse you. Mark is very clear. He says, the preparation day. That is the day before, uh, the, day before the Sabbath. Luke puts it this way in, in Luke 23:54. He says, it was the pre- preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. I mean, how much clearer can we be? All right, so this is Friday. Now, remember, the, the day doesn't officially end. Friday won't officially end until it's dark enough that, that uh, the sun is down and you can see three stars. It says, Joseph of Arimathea came. It says he was a prominent member of the council. The council means the Sanhedrin. He was of these 70 men plus the high priest who was governing Israel at the time. He was not among those who had condemned Jesus. Neither was Nicodemus. So we know that that group, instead of 71, could have at most been 69, but probably less than that. And we know from John's Gospel, chapter 12, John 12:42 says, Many, nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him. But they were not confessing him because of the Pharisees, lest they be thrown out of the synagogue. So there were many of the rulers, that means members of the Sanhedrin, who believed in Jesus. That's John 12:42. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him because they had already said whoever were to confess him, they'd be put out of the synagogue. And you say, well, why don't you go across the street and go to another synagogue? No, when they mean put out of the synagogue, that means outcast from all of social life in Israel. It was a big deal. You couldn't just go to another synagogue across the street like we go to another church across the street. It doesn't happen. They were outcasts. So this was a big deal. So you think that, okay, well, the Lord understands. The Lord really understands this, why they were quiet about, about uh, uh, their witness to Him. However, the next verse, John 12:43 says, because they love the approval of men more than the approval of God. So it seems like the scriptures didn't have much patience for that. It is because they love the approval of men more than the approval of God. So if we justify keeping quiet about who we are as believers, because, because we're worried what might happen, the scriptures categorize this. It says, because we love the approval of men more than the approval of God. As soon as you testify that you are a believer, people will start holding you more accountable. And they should. Until you testify that you are a believer, they'll not hold you accountable for many of your actions. But once you testify, you'll be held accountable, as we should be. So, it says that he was a prominent member of the council. Not just a low-level member, he was a prominent member. In fact, in, in Luke, in, in Luke talks about the same portion. It says he was a good man and a righteous man. Good meaning his outward things, he did many good things. Righteousness means that within he was, he was seeking the Lord. In fact, it, it, says, it says that um, uh, it, it, it speaks well of him also in, in, uh, um, in, in 
John's Gospel, but it says, and he was a secret disciple. And it says that he was also looking for the kingdom of God. He was waiting in Luke. He was waiting for the kingdom of God, meaning that he was part of the believing remnant of that day. He went and it says he was waiting for the kingdom of God and he gathered up courage and he went before Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. He was a prominent member. Jesus was supposed to be buried, supposed to be buried in, in, in a criminal's grave, just with a bunch of other people. But the scriptures clearly say where he was going to be buried. In fact, it says in, it, it says in Isaiah 53, uh, uh, verse 9, it says, His grave was assigned with wicked men, but he was with a rich man in his death. And this is exactly what's going to occur. And it says that, that uh, Joseph of Arimathea took him, got his body, and they didn't take Jesus' body down prematurely. Some will argue that Jesus didn't die on the cross. Pilate called the centurion, the man in charge of crucifixions. He, he had done this hundreds if not thousands of times. He had many people working for him. It was this centurion, it says, that looked at him and said, this was the Son of God when he saw how he breathed his last. And it says, surely this man was innocent, he said. He knew what death looked like. He knew that he had already been pierced through. He knew he was dead. So Pilate didn't take him off that cross prematurely. The centurion confirmed, he is dead. We even stabbed him in his side. He is dead. Once it was confirmed he was dead, Pilate said, go ahead, Joseph, you can have him. It says, Joseph bought a linen cloth. And in fact, in John, it's more specific. It says, uh, linen cloths, linen wrappings. The way that they would do this was not a big cloth, it was wrappings. You remember when, when Lazarus, when he was in the tomb, it says, unbind him. The wrappings were around him. And that's why we know the Shroud of Turin, as interesting as it must be, it not, has nothing to do with Jesus because these were cloths that were wrapped around. It wasn't one big, big shroud. Anyway, it says he took him and he wrapped him in, in the linen cloth and he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out in a rock, and he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Now, that tomb was Joseph of Arimathea's own tomb. And we know that from Matthew 27, verse 60. It was Joseph's own tomb. If you go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre today, in Jerusalem, you will see a, a, an, an elevated rock where they believe that the cross was actually in, where the ground is split, and... 30 yards away from there, still under the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, you see the place where Jesus was buried. Now, there's nothing else there. That has been totally defaced, but it is very close. There are two old men. There's, there's Joseph of Arimathea and there's Nicodemus, who we heard about in John chapter 3, when he came and he says, he says, how can I be born again? And in John chapter 7, when Nicodemus stuck up for him in the council. And, and uh, these two old men are the ones who take the body of Jesus. They can't take them very far. Now, remember, they are secret disciples. There is nothing, there is nothing good for them to try to deceive people, to try to take this body. This will do them no good. They're not open disciples of his anyway. But they take him and they bury him and they wrap him in this cloth. So we're going to go down and, and we're not going to read the Matthew and the Luke portion, but let's go to John chapter 19. Let's see what John has to say about this. John chapter 19, verse 31. Then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation, so the body would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath. Again, when did Jesus die? It was Friday. It was the day of preparation. So when people are all confused about this, just show them the Scriptures. 
Because it was the day of preparation so that the body would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other one who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. And he, and he who has seen has testified and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you also may believe. For these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture. Not a bone of him shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look upon him whom they pierced. So it was Friday and it says they did not want to leave the body of Jesus on the Sabbath. So they wanted to take it down. They didn't want it to leave it up there on the Sabbath because it says the Sabbath was a high day. Passover was from, from Thursday night sundown to Friday night sundown. That was the Passover day. Now the Sabbath was starting, but right the day after Passover starts the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is this Jewish holiday which is still kept today. It starts it started on that Sabbath day. When that Sabbath day falls on a Jewish holiday, it is called a high Sabbath. To this day, it is called a high Sabbath. So this was a particularly important Sabbath day. And all the more, they didn't want to leave the body of Jesus on the tomb, on, on, the, on the cross. So what they did is they need to get him down. Now, a man can live several days when on the cross. And so the way they die generally is by suffocation. So there's this little platform that's put, this little, little platform just on the cross for them to push up on because the way they are hanging, apparently, it is very hard to breathe. So they have to push up to, take, to inhale and then they can, they can go back down. And they're constantly going up and down, up and down. And this can go on for days because you're allowed to give them as much water as they ask for, as much to drink as they ask for, but you can't give them food. Jesus was already dead because of the severity of a scourging that had occurred. And they go up and down on this cross, wearing away their back. His back was already stripped from, from, the, uh, from the scourging. So they come to the soldiers, and the way that they want to speed up the death, they come and they just break the two legs of the person being crucified. And because of that, they can no longer push up, and they quickly asphyxiate. Jesus, it says, was already dead, so they just stabbed him in his side, so deeply that it says blood and water came out. Now, there's been a lot, of, a lot of doctors will tell you what that blood and water means, and they all have different opinions on what that means. The scripture doesn't tell us at all what it means physically, what it means medically. But what it means spiritually is, is told us in 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 12. And the reason it's in 1 John is because... John is the one who's reporting this. And he even said, I'm the one who, seen, who saw this. He even says right here. And then he, when he writes the epistle of 1 John, and he says, what this does, it is the testimony of the spirit of water and of blood, which is the testimony of our eternal life. So we know the theological meaning of it is eternal life. The blood and the water coming out of him is the theological and the giving up of the spirit all at the same time. In the same occasion, this meant for us eternal life. That is the theological meaning of it. And so they just stabbed Jesus in his side. But this fulfilled, this fulfilled Isaiah, Isaiah uh, um, uh, 53, verse 5, that he was pierced through. And then also when it says uh, down in, in John chapter 19, verse uh, uh, 36 and 37, that not a bone of his shall be broken. That was the fulfillment of Psalm 34, verse 20. 
and they shall look upon him whom they pierced. That is Zechariah 12.10. And this not breaking a bone of his says that it is from uh, uh, the book of Exodus, chapter 12, verse 46, the Passover lamb was not to have a single bone broken. They were to be pulled out of joint, and that's exactly what happened to Jesus. And Psalm 22 says that all my bones are out of joint. I mean, just fulfillment of Scripture upon Scripture. Verse 38 of John chapter 19. And after these things, so after these things, after Jesus had been pierced through to the side, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission. So he came and he took away his body. Nicodemus, who had come who had first come to him by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. So he bought all the spices that are needed. This is the traditional Jewish burial. They put hundred pounds of spices and then they wrap the body in, in, this, in these uh, um, wrappings. So in verse 40, so they took the body of Jesus, they bound it in linen wrappings. This is the same type of wrappings that Jesus, the swaddling clothes that Jesus was put in when he was born. When he was in that cave, they traditionally used caves as tombs. That was a tomb. They traditionally keep the linen wrappings there. The same swaddling clothing. He was wrapped ready to die at birth. Now they're rewrapping him in this, in the same type of wrappings with spices as the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. So you see, the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. It was all in the same little area. These two old guys didn't have to bring this body very far. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and the garden had a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. You say, well, that's kind of crazy. Why would they do that? Well, we don't usually reuse graves in this country, but they do in Israel all the time. They have these caves and they dig out these slots in these caves. They put dead bodies in there. Once they decay, they gather up the bones and that's put in a little box and that's often given back to the family. You say, well, that's a crude thing. Well, haven't you ever heard of uh, uh, um, when people get cremated, they give the, the, the ashes back to people? Is that crude too? I mean, this is the customs of the culture. And, and so, so uh, then they reuse those. They reuse them all the time. And so um, uh, th- this was a new one, though. Joseph of Arimathea, because it tells us, it tells us that, that uh, uh, this was Joseph's own tomb in Matthew chapter 27, verse 60, says it was Joseph's own tomb. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Again, the Jewish day of preparation. So this is as clear as can be. This is what's going on at the time, but what I want to look at is I want to look at this picture of Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph and Nicodemus, there are writings about them of what they went through, how they became total outcasts because of their going forward and getting this body of Jesus. It was a big thing. So if you look back in Mark chapter 15, back in Mark chapter 15, in verse 43, it says, Joseph of Arimathea came, a prominent member of the council, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, and he gathered up courage and went in before Pilate. This was the end. He was no longer going to be a prominent member of the council. Imagine if you have just put on the chopping block your career because of something that you were about to do. He was now coming out of the closet. He was no longer going to be a secret disciple. This was it. It took him to gather up courage. This is Christian life. 
The Christian life is continually gathering up courage. We gather up courage for what God has called us to do. Sometimes it means that we put our jobs on the chopping block. Sometimes it means that we, we, we lose our particular standing in the eyes of a group of people because of our testimony for Jesus Christ. But this is what these men did. They lost everything. They lost everything. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus lost everything because of what they are about to do. Because they are publicly going to care for this body of Jesus. And they gathered up courage. And this is so much of what Christian life is like. And we have to gather up courage again and again. I want to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. In the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 30. And we're going to start reading from verse 1. Gathering up courage is so much of what the Christian life is like. You remember when you're a freshman... You're coming to college. I mean, you have to gather up courage. Are you going to go and identify with a Christian group? Or are you going to keep quiet about who you are in Christ? Are you going to go and identify with Christian people? When you go and you work in a career, are you going to identify with believers? Or are you going to feel compelled to go out and do all the things that, that, that your co-workers are doing? Or will you take a stand and say, I, I can't do that? I'm a Christian and that's not something that I do. Are you going to take a stand? It is constantly a life of gathering up courage. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone, and carried them off and went on their way. When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Now David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam the Jezreelite and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite. So David was living with his men in, in uh, Philistine territory. They went out and they were going to try to partake in a, in, a, in a battle actually against Israel, and God actually spared them from that. But while they were gone, their little city of Ziklag had been attacked by the Amalekites, and the Amalekites took all the riches and took everybody captive. They lost everything. Imagine, imagine coming home, and you see your home ransacked. And you know that just... 30 minutes before that, you had spoken to your wife and she was there in the home and expecting you for dinner and she's gone too. The home is ransacked and she's gone. She's been kidnapped. How would you feel? Oh, well, you know, huh? now, how would you feel? You realize the devastation that this man is going through, that these men are going through, lost their kids, lost their wives, and it's twice as hard on David as it would be on us because he had two wives. I mean, it's do the math. I mean, it's clear. This is hard. It's hard to have to go through. This man lost everything. And then it says, in verse 6 of 1 Samuel chapter 1, Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. For all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Look at these words and remember them. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He strengthened himself. 
David lost everything and not only did he lose everything, now the men, his very own men, are thinking of killing him because they're like, you're responsible. You're our leader. You're responsible. You didn't leave anybody here to guard this, this little village of ours. You just left a bunch of women and kids and they're all gone. So they want to kill him. So what does David do? Does he run? No. It says he strengthens himself in the Lord his God. This is what Christian life is. It is constantly going back to the Lord and strengthening ourselves, gathering up courage in the Lord. This is what Christian life is. Turn to Psalm, Psalm 27. Psalm 27. We're going to start reading from verse 1. Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war rise against me, in spite of all this, I shall be confident. Now, a person does not speak like this just any old time. They speak like this when they need courage. When we are in the place of needing courage, that's when we speak forth positive testimony. David is going through something. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? You don't say, whom shall I fear, when you're not in a place where fear is assailing you. You say this. When you're very much in a place where fear is assailing you, you say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war rise against me, in spite of all this, I shall be confident. What David is doing is he is encouraging himself in the Lord. Do you want to see what David was doing when it says he encouraged himself in the Lord? The scripture gives us, gives us insight into the type of ways that David encouraged himself in the Lord. He would take the Word of God. He would speak positively about the things of God. I have memorized this psalm. Long ago I memorized this psalm. Because many, many times I have quoted this psalm to myself. Not when I'm happy-go-lucky and everything's going well, but when things are a mess and not going well. That's when I'm calling upon this. This is what strengthening ourselves in the Lord means. This is what it is. This is a picture of what it is. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I shall seek, in verse 4, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. We get this picture. David says, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Every day. Every day. The life of the believer is every day time with God. Every day time with God. That is the life of the believer. Scripture says in Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, that while it was still dark, Jesus used to go out to pray. While it was still dark, everybody else is asleep. You know, sleep's really important. You've got to have that. Yes, but not to the exclusion of prayer. The Christian life is a daily meditation, a daily presence, in, 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 a daily time in the presence of God. Verse 5, For in the day of trouble He will conceal me in His tabernacle. In the secret place of His tent He will hide me. 
Oh, I know what this means. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the, in the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. Has this ever happened to you? Where just so much is coming upon you, you just want to just like go in your closet and just hide and just sit in there and not come out. Have you ever had that feeling? Have you ever done it? I've done it. I mean, I'm glad I have a walk-in closet. (laughs) But have you ever felt like you just want to crawl up and go underneath your bed and hide as if you were a four-year-old and just hide? That's what David is doing. That is the life of the believer. There are times that come upon us where we just want to hide. We just want to just... Lord, just hide me. And Lord, just come on. Come under these covers right here. I mean, that's what he's doing. See, you just need to be alone for a while. Come on in this closet. Get away from everyone. It's okay. I understand. He says, for in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in this tabernacle. So he's got a place. Come right in here. Nobody knows about this. This is just, just for you. There's a place for you to hide in him. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock, and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. You go ahead in your closet, and you start just speaking to the Lord and pouring out your heart to him. Take a little light with you. Or read it off your smartphone and just start reading the scriptures and say, Lord, just speak to me. Just take Psalm 27 and start. And then before you know it, you know what's going to be happening? Your head's going to start to lift up. And you're going to start singing praises to God. And you're going to walk out of there like a roaring lion. You're going to be totally different than the way you walked in. You go in that secret place and you get strengthened by the Lord. This is Christian life. This is not unusual, like, oh, well, one day that happened to me. Well, if it only happened to you one day, just get ready. There's going to be more days. Christian life is all about this. There are seasons where you just go in before the Lord. And He encourages you. This is what David was doing. This is what Joseph of Arimathea. You think Joseph said, well, I think I'll just go ask Pilate for the body of Jesus. I'm courageous now. No, it's not like that. I mean, this man was probably wrestling with this. How am I going to do this? I will lose everything. But he was looking for the kingdom of God. He was a man who already was speaking to the Lord. And the Lord empowered him. And the Lord gave him strength. This is a dignified man. It's not a college student that you know, can get away with all sorts of crazy things. And they cut you slack because you're a college student. No, this is a dignified person. A member of the council. When people see him do this, that's the end. And he gathers up his courage and he goes. He even goes on. Let, let, let's skip down to, to uh, verse 10 of Psalm 27. My father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. There will be times that even you don't sense the security from your family. That maybe you don't even sense the security from your friends. But did you know that the Lord allows us to enter such times to draw us into that place of security? To draw us into that place of aloneness with Him? 
of security with Him, to teach us to be dependent upon Him and not dependent upon family members. There is a rising up where we mature from being beyond where mom and dad are going to solve everything to where we learn to go before the Lord and the Lord picks us up and lifts our head and causes us to sing before Him. Verse 11, Teach me your ways, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and such as breathe out violence. There will be times that people say things against you and you will be utterly devastated and you will feel that this is so untrue. Go in that secret place with the Lord and read Psalm 27. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In this life. It's not just in the life to come. Okay, Lord, I know that in heaven everything's going to be blissful. But I'm living here right now. And the Lord says, in this life, you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That means in this life, you will see the goodness of the Lord. That's where you will see it. And that's what He encourages us with. That He will lift you up. He will lift you up. This is Christian life. Let's pray. Abba Father, we praise Your name. We thank You, Lord. Because we can encourage ourselves in You that you call us into a secret place. And I pray for these young people that you would teach them to go into that secret place, that daily they would have that time with you. But then also, in times of great fear, in times of great attack, that they would learn to just pull away and get all alone. To go in that closet or that place of security where no one else is there. And they can just pour out their hearts to you. Father, teach them what it means to gather up courage. Teach them what it means to strengthen themselves in You. Father, that You would lift their heads up and You would give them joy and singing. Lord, I pray that many here will commit this psalm to memory and take it and use it in their lives to lift them up. Father, bless these young people. Lord, to those here who don't know You, who have no ability to draw into that place of security and rest because they have not yet received You. Father, draw them to Your Son this day, I pray. Open up their hearts, I pray. For the glory of God, I commit this to You. Amen.